open up to Acts 19 and maybe have your other finger in 1 Corinthians 14. And I encourage you, uh, we project on the screen for your convenience, but I don't think it beats having the Bible in front of you opened up and looking through the pages, getting to know uh, this wonderful book that God's given us. So I encourage you to have a Bible. If you don't, uh, the ushers have can get you one. There's some uh, blue Bibles available in our in our library. And glad you're here with us this morning. And if anyone is new here, my name is Paul Buckley. I'm a pastor here, and it's my privilege, uh, amazing privilege, each week to bring the Word of God. God has given us His Word and He's called pastors to proclaim and teach. And He's given grace for that. And I'm so glad for that because I'd be in a lot of trouble getting up here in front of you guys without that. But because His grace is at work and He's given us His Word, we have confidence to come before Him and to know that He will speak and use even a frail, weak human being to proclaim infinite, glorious things. And that's... Wow, such a blessing. So as we prepare to look at his word at chapter 19 and, and um, the particular issue of tongues, um, let's pray and ask him to be with us and to lead us. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you are the living God. You are the eternal, glorious one. You're good and your ways are right. Your wisdom is unfathomable, Lord. Uh, it is it is beautiful to behold and so much better than we'll ever fully know. Lord, your glory is great and we thank you, Lord, that you make yourself known to us through your word and that we can come and hear your word taught, proclaimed in the power of the Spirit and, and experience you and to be transformed by you as well. We thank you. And we ask you to do that today. Lord, in particular with this challenging topic, would you help me to serve you and your people well? We want to learn from you, Lord. We, we want to be able to put aside, as best we can, opinions of men, uh, mere opinions of men. We want to be able to put aside, as best as we can, our own particular slants and prejudices. We want to hear from your word. And we ask you to give us power to submit to your word, to believe you, to trust you, and to walk in the truths of your words. Knowing, Lord, that you will be faithful and you are a gracious God who rewards those who seek you. We thank you for that. So do this and more as you are pleased, our God, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We are going through a series in the book of Acts and we're in chapter 19 and we're taking some uh, time to address some of the issues that are in 19. We will go through 19 and do... uh, the best we can to understand the storyline and the, and the main points. And so last week we talked about that from Acts chapter 19, uh, verses 1 through 7 in particular, what Luke is doing. And, and if uh, you weren't here, I encourage you to get that online or at the back. I think there's CDs you can get. But I also talked about the, the fact that there are side points in this passage, uh, in this chapter, that are worth addressing. And in particular today, we want to address the issue of tongues, because we've seen it in Acts and haven't really taken time to talk about this issue, uh, the gift of tongues, and what does it mean, and where does it fit in. And it's a, uh, one of those issues in Christianity that can be difficult to deal with, and there are different opinions on it, and practices, and and, uh, and it's one of those messages that you, you uh, 
can feel awkward about, particularly if you bring in a friend and, and uh, that friend has not encountered this gift or not uh, familiar with Christianity. It can just seem very uh, outside the pale for us. But it's in God's Word, and He's going to teach us. Uh, so what I want to do is just, is just to read Acts 19, 1 through 7, and just to refresh us in the story, and then we'll see tongues happening here, and then we'll go into the topic of tongues from there. So chapter 19, verse 1, where Paul is come, has come to Ephesus and has started this uh, amazing third missionary journey and this wonderful adventure in Ephesus. We're going to see more as we go along. It says in verse 1, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about twelve men in all. Paul encounters these twelve men who are some sort of disciples of John the Baptist, though uh, they're obviously not understanding everything that John taught. He shares Christ with them. They are baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. He lays hands on them, and then like we've seen in Elsewhere in Acts, the Holy Spirit comes on them and we see them speaking in tongues and prophesying. So they come to Christ. So we see this issue of tongues, this idea of tongues. And we talked about last week, we spent time talking about the nature of tongues. What are tongues? What is this gift of tongues? And, and we learned that it, uh, tongues sounds really weird to us, but it just really means language. Uh, when someone's speaking in tongues, it means they're speaking in a language. And, and in Scripture, uh, in the New Testament, it often is speaking in a different or different languages or a foreign language. So speaking in tongues is really speaking in a foreign language. We learn that this is a redemptive historical sign of the New Covenant, a reversal of the Tower of Babel, uh, really, where God had brought His people together, though of diverse languages, brought them together to proclaim God's name, versus Babel was they came together with one language to proclaim their own name. God dispersed them with many languages. This is the reversal of that, God uniting His people. We see Acts 2, uh, that picture clearly. We learn that, God, that tongues are Godward prayer and praise. They're Godward. We're, we're praying and praising God. It's in the Spirit, in our spirits though. Our minds are not engaged when we're practicing the gift of tongues. And we address that issue of rationalism, where often for us it's hard to kind of think of this gift, using this gift, because if our minds aren't engaged, how do we know? And sometimes it's the, the error of rationalism that keeps us from pursuing and engaging this gift. Rationalism is the idea that something isn't really true unless I understand it, that my ability to to uh, rationalize something, to reason, is the ultimate determiner of truth. And, and that's not scriptural. God is the ultimate determiner of truth. And so in a gift like this, we must trust God and His Word. And we learn that tongues is for personal edification. That it builds us up. When we can pray to God, we can praise Him in the Spirit. It allows us to... to, to be Godward in ways that we might not be able to do left to ourselves. So it builds us up in Him as we praise Him, as we, as we pray. A way to 
experience the promise of Romans 8, 26 and 27, where it talks about not knowing what we should pray, but, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans deeper than understanding, if I remember the verse correctly. Deeper than words, I think. Uh, that verse covers a broad range, not just the gift of tongues. I think that's every Christian's experience. But tongues is an expression where, of that where we can pray. And one more thing I just want to talk about this morning, about the nature of tongues, and we'll move into how, how we practice, the guidelines for tongues. The one thing that I didn't cover last week, we ran out of time, was that tongues is in an unknown language. Tongues is in an unknown language. We first see in the New Testament the gift of tongues operating in chapter 2 of Acts. And, and we have seen as we've gone through Acts in this series that, that on the day of Pentecost the Spirit comes, fire comes down on uh, their heads and they start praising God in these other languages as God gives them utterance. It says they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they are out somewhere in the streets of Jerusalem and people gather around and they're bewildered. Because it says each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed. And there were, there were 16 or so languages being understood. And, and uh, as they, they prayed and they praised God in these languages, they heard them declaring the wonders, the mighty works of God. And some have understood because of that occurrence in Acts 2 and have, have believed that tongues must therefore always be a foreign, understandable foreign language because that seems to be what's going on in the book of Acts in chapter 2. They're praying to God, they're praising God, and the people from all these different regions and these different languages are hearing them praise God in their own languages. And, and certainly that's clear in Acts 2. Also, historically, there are documented cases from reliable people of someone praying in tongues or speaking in tongues and, and someone understanding what they're saying from a foreign country. I have been present when that's happened. Uh, there are documented, reliable cases of that as well. But Acts 2 is not meant to fully describe how this gift operates. The place we look to in Scripture that talks most about the gifts and the particulars of the gifts is in 1 Corinthians 14. So if uh, you want to turn there, we'll spend some time there. And Paul talks about the gifts of tongues in particular, what we should expect in terms of it being a foreign language or not. And the key verse I want to look at and talk about at first, I want to present to you a number of reasons why this is uh, tongues are in an unknown language. That would be the usual, not, not the... Um, not the exception, but the usual. In chapter 14, verse 2, listen to what Paul says. He says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries. In the spirits. For one who speaks in tongues speaks not to men but to God. No one under, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. Paul is bringing this particular verse in a context where he's trying to help people understand the gift of tongues and trying to help them understand that, guys, if you practice this gift, no one's going to understand you. In other words, guys, don't bring the Acts 2 experience into your understanding of tongues. If you think that tongues is to go out and proclaim the wonders of God to people of diverse languages, you're mistaken. 
For the one who speaks in tongues speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him. But he utters mysteries in the Spirit. In, in that verse, the, kind of the logic here that Paul is saying is, For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men. And we could rearrange the, the verse a little bit to, to maintain the logic and maybe make it more uh, clearer for us. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, for no one understands him. But speaks to God because he utters mysteries in the Spirit. To speak in tongues is to utter mysteries, unknown things, in the Spirit to God, not to men. It's not to be expected to be a discernible language. There are some other things in Scripture I think teach us this as well. And I just want to kind of lay out some of the, some of the reasons that we can expect that tongues is not a discernible language. That would be one of them, what Paul says and how he teaches on tongues in 1 Corinthians 14. And in Scripture, when we're trying to discern something, uh, we're trying to understand and reach a conclusion, we want to put weight on the things that are explicit and clear and be careful with the things that aren't. Acts chapter 2, it's clear that that they understand, but we don't know all the details. 1 Corinthians 14 is very clear what Paul says. Acts chapter 2 We just don't know how God may have done it. They might have been speaking in languages that were not fully foreign languages. It might have been a mix. There might have been mysteries spoken, but then every now and then words that were familiar and people said, oh, I can hear, I understand that word. We don't know, and I'm not trying to argue from silence. I'm just saying we can't establish the facts of what exactly was going on there. 1 Corinthians 14 is pretty clear. Tongues are languages not to be understood by men. So we see it there, and and Paul is saying this to the Corinthians, by the way. Corinth was a major port in the ancient world. And those 16 languages in Acts chapter 2 probably were represented in the city of Corinth. So if Paul had expected Acts 2 to apply to how tongues were used, I think he would have said something. But he says, no one's going to understand you. You're uttering mysteries in your spirit to God. This is a city that had many languages Paul's not expecting any of those people to understand what's being said. In 1 Corinthians 13, 1 as well, uh, it, it looks like there's, there's other reasons we may not expect it to be normal languages. 13, verse 1, it says, that for, uh, as Paul is addressing the Corinthians about the proper use of gifts, this is the, whole, the love chapter, he starts, and this is read at so many weddings, and I don't think understood often what Paul is saying. He says in verse 1, if I, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He's trying to help them understand. Guys, it doesn't matter how good you speak in tongues, what you do in tongues. If you don't have love, it's just a waste. But in bringing that point about love, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. I think it, we can infer from that that it was understood that tongues were thought to be the language of angels. That's probably why the Corinthians were so into it. They, uh, in, in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, it, it, it becomes clear that the Corinthians were into being very spiritual. We can all be into that. We want to show how spiritual we are to others. And they were, they were uh, interested in that, and they thought that the way they could show they're spiritual uh, is through the gift of tongues. And it looks like, in particular, they thought that it was a sign. They were right in some ways. It was a sign of the new covenant experience, of of the new thing that God was doing. And to the point of, it was, I think they understood, speaking in the tongues of angels. The 
Corinthians had what we might call a, a, an over-realized eschatology. They thought that, that they were there and to be there in every way. And so tongues was a way to say, hey, we're speaking the language of heaven. We're really spiritual. And Paul says, if you, if you speak in the tongues of men or the tongues of angels but have not love, it's a, you're just a, a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. It's just empty words. So he understood, I think, he, the, the implication is that the languages that they spoke, these tongue languages, might have been the tongues of angels, and very well may be the tongues of angels. Certainly the ancient Jews of the day understood that the angels, or thought the angels, had certain languages, and, if, and, and you, could, you could perhaps speak that language yourself. So just a couple reasons. Uh, a couple more. Uh, Paul... We're going to talk about this as we go. Paul prayed in tongues in private. It, it, as we'll, we'll go and we'll look at that. He, he practiced this gift uh, prodigiously. He used it a lot. Uh, but he did it in private. I think if this were a gift that were meant to be uh, an understandable foreign language, Paul with his heart for evangelism, he would have been out there doing it. I mean, I mean uh, if you had the ability just to be in a multinational country and go up to someone and start speaking to them in a language that you didn't understand, but they did, and you could, play, could proclaim the wonders of God, I mean, wouldn't you want to be doing that? Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't you go out, I mean, go out and do it? But, but Paul says, if you do this thing in public without interpretation, what are the people with, who know these foreign languages going to think about you? They're going to think that you're raving maniacs, is basically what he says. So Paul's expectation was not that this was a language... Uh, that people would understand. He himself practiced it in private, it looks like. So, all that to say that, uh, that this prayer language, this language of praise that God would give his people, is to be understood as usually not a discernible foreign language. Certainly God can make exceptions, and he does, historically. But that is not what's to be expected of this language. That can be a hang-up for some, because... They hear modern tongues, or what we might call modern tongues, people praying in tongues, and they say, you know, it's no foreign language, it's not discernible, Acts 2, it is, so this must be false. No, 1 Corinthians 14, and these other reasons, I think, give us a basis to say, no, we shouldn't expect to understand this language. So I hope that's helpful. Let's talk about some guidelines for this gift. And, and this is a two-part message, too. I, I, I'm not going to hit on all the reasons for the gifts as much as I did last week. I want to help us understand how to practice it. I hope it's helpful to you. My goal in this, by the way, is not just to inform you about this gift. My goal is believing that this is a gift for the church today, that the gifts of the Spirit are for the church today, and they're from God who's good and loves us, and has given the gifts for our good, then we should be practicing this gift. Those of us who have this gift should use it for good things. And yet, to, for many of us, uh, perhaps because of how we were taught or what we've experienced, this is just a weird thing. And I'd rather not, Pastor Paul, even talk about this thing. My, my job uh, is to do my best to bring you the Word of God. And, and it isn't my particular delight to talk on this gift uh, and, and scare you away, but it's in Scripture. And we're not going to avoid the elephants in the room. We're going to talk about the elephants in the room. We're going to see that God's Word is sufficient. And, and if it's from God, we're going to see it's a good thing. So I want you guys to experience the blessing and the good of this gift. This is a significant gift in the book of Acts. Therefore, uh, we need to think about it 
engage around it, and embrace it. And it's no freakier than any other thing we see in Scripture. I mean, virgin birth, God rising from the dead, uh, the infinite, eternal God living inside of you. Just go up to some, tell someone on the street, God, the eternal God lives inside of me, and see what they might say to you. There's lots of freaky things about Christianity, uh, so this is no different. And in its proper place, properly used, it's very good. That's where I want to get us individually and as a church, that we see the proper place, we enjoy this gift. So let's talk about some of the guidelines. First, I want to talk about Paul's example. Sometimes this isn't highlighted in teaching on tongues, and I think the result is that, that we might miss how to use this gift. So let's take some time to look at his, his personal example and where that leads. He says in verse 18, and, and if, you could, if you're there, look, 1 Corinthians 14, 18, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Now, he's going to go on from that point to instruct them. We'll talk about that, but I want to take time just to camp on that. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. That's a bold claim. He's saying that to the Corinthians. Guys, I I speak in tongues more than all of you. I don't think he's using hyperbole. I think he did. I think he spoke in tongues more than anybody. I think Paul loved this gift, appreciated this gift, and used this gift. Can you imagine when he was back in Corinth? Remember how hard it was coming coming from what had gone on? He's in Corinth. He's... he's, um, depressed, it's, it's hard, things, uh, he's scared of what's going to happen, another persecution, another beating. And I bet at that point he was using this gift. He used this gift more than all of them. He practiced this gift. He treasured this gift. But it, it's interesting to see that it looks like he practiced it in private because there's nothing in 1 Corinthians 14 that says anything about Paul using it in public. So he says, guys, I thank God I pray in tongues more than all of you. This is a gift I use all the time. But in the church, I'd rather have five words that are understandable than 10,000 in tongue. In other words, guys, I love this gift. I practice this gift. This gift builds me up. I receive strength. It's a means of grace to me of where I can connect with God, where I can intercede, where I can praise God. There's a blessing. I thank God for this gift. I use it all the time. But when it comes to church, a public meeting, I'd rather bring only five words that are understandable than 10,000 in, in a tongue. I think the implication is Paul saying, guys, I, I love this gift. I use it all the time, but not in church. Not in a public setting. It's a, a private or a more private gift for me and perhaps in small prayer groups, things like that. So his example, first we see he loved the gift, he was glad for the gift, he used the gift, but he used it in private. That's instructive for us. Paul used his gift in private. He he understood that it was limited in the public context. And much of what he does in chapter 14 is gives them reasons to see how limited it is, and then offers an alternative. Says, guys, if you want to be involved in public ministry, which you should be, uh, all of us, we are to worship corporately. We all have gifts to bring in different ways. If you want a public gift, then pursue these other gifts, like prophecy, the ability to, to proclaim the, the mind of God, uh, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, proclaiming the, the truth of God from Scripture and 
to others. Use these other gifts that you can instruct. He says, he says in 1 Corinthians 14, 6 through 11, earlier, he says, Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you? Unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves. If, you, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? You'll be speaking into the air. Paul's saying, guys, if you can't say something someone understands, you're not going to help them. It's interesting, the implication is that Paul's saying if you want to edify, you need to engage people's minds. That's an important thing for us to understand, and that's what we seek to do. God's way is to engage our minds with truth and the power of the Spirit, and then to touch our whole lives through that. So that is always our commitment, to engage our minds. That's what Paul's saying. Guys, when you come together, engage minds. If you come together and, and speak in the language where no one understands, it's like just getting up there and... and playing an instrument without notes. I uh, used to play the trumpet, and I wish I still did more. It's, um, if you're, anyone's a, a uh, brass player, you know you get out of practice, you can't play it, but I used to play the trumpet, and uh, I still can play a little bit. If you give me a trumpet, I'd, I'd play it for like a half a song until my lips were gone. Uh, but I can remember, I still remember when I first started learning. I learned from a guy, if I remember right, it was Mr. Givens. I was in third grade. And uh, one of our first lessons, he uh, played, we, we asked him to play something. He played Flight of the Bumblebee on his trumpets. You guys know that song? Um, and it was amazing. Um, I mean, even as an eight-year-old, I was just like, and uh, he, he's playing, it's 16th notes, right? And I, and I can still remember the resonance of, because he's going so fast, it was like there was, it was just amazing, amazing time. And, and right around that time, there was a guy in my group, I think his name was Tony. He was my age. And, uh, and he was excited about playing the trumpet, and, and, uh, and he said, yeah, I want to learn to play jazz like this. And, uh, and he didn't know what he was doing. I guess he had been doing this, and he thought he was pretty good. He just blows in the trumpet and just starts going, and it was just like, it sounded like a herd of charging elephants with laryngitis. But Tony seemed to enjoy it, but we didn't. It was noise. It was noise. Compared to Flight of the Bumblebee, this was like nothing. Paul's saying, guys, that's, that's what tongues are like. It's, it's like Tony when you're going to be doing Flight of the Bumblebee. So do that. So Paul has this preference for the gift to be practiced in private. And I believe what he's doing with the Corinthians, he, he, he allows for them to use it publicly. And he tells them, if you're going to use it publicly, here's how to do it. But his own example is not using it publicly, I believe. I believe that's a correct inference. Using it prodigiously, using it a lot, but using it privately because of its limitations. So that's Paul's example. Let's look uh, at another guideline for us, which is the public effect of tongues. We've we've learned that it's indiscernible. Uh, And so Paul says in verse 13 and then verse 28, Therefore, one who speaks in tongues should pray for the power to interpret. If you want to use tongues in a public setting, you should pray for the power to interpret. And then in 28 he says, But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. So, if you're going to speak in tongues, there needs to be an interpretation. 
If it's going to be allowed in public, there must be an interpretation. If there's no interpretation, then be silent. Keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Paul makes that very clear. In the public setting, if there's no interpretation, be silent. I think it's very clear. I think it applies to speaking or singing in tongues. I think it's any sort of speaking in tongues which comes out of our mouth, whether it's singing or saying. If there's no interpretation, let them remain. Keep silent in the church. So, that's a pretty clear rule. Some of us maybe have been in churches where we've felt awkward about tongues because that rule wasn't followed. And you've seen people come in and think, these guys are raving maniacs. Maybe you thought they were raving maniacs. Maybe you've been a raving maniac using tongues without interpretation. Paul makes it clear, no, we're not to do this. That's one key public aspect. Another key public aspect Paul gets into in the middle section of this chapter, verses 21 to 25, and I'll try to do my best in a short amount of time to explain this. Let me read it first, and then we'll talk about it. Um, he says in verse 21, And the law is written by people of strange tongues, and by the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? And and you could interpret, uh, will they not say that you are raving maniacs? I like that interpretation better. Will, Will they not think you guys are totally crazy? Now Paul talks in here about tongues being a sign. Them being a sign. He's not trying to say this is the the entire explanation of tongues, that it's a sign for unbelievers. But he's saying it is a sign for unbelievers. We know in Acts 2 it's a sign for believers, right? It's a sign of this new covenant experience of the Spirit. But it also functions as a sign for unbelievers. And he quotes this passage uh, from Isaiah, and I think it's earlier on in the Scriptures too, Uh, where he says, By the people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. And in that particular context, you can look that up later, uh, Paul's talking about an instance, uh, I think it was both a prediction and a thing that happened in Isaiah as well that came true, where God would bring foreigners to the gates of Israel, and they would speak at the gates in foreign languages. And it would be a sign of God's judgment on Israel because a foreign people had come to conquer Israel Jerusalem because of the sin of Jerusalem. So Paul's keen off of that saying, when you speak in tongues, you're operating the same way. It's a sign to unbelievers. It's a sign that they're outside the camp of of the church in a sense because they don't know what's going on. It alienates them. It's It's a negative sign basically for unbelievers. Now prophecy, he said, is a positive sign for believers. He's, he's offering that alternative, and, and in this chapter, that's what he does. He says, here are tongues, here's the right alternative for the public context. Here are tongues, here's an alternative. The, the chapter is full of, of doing that. So he says, tongues are a positive sign for us. They're a positive t- sign for believers. It's a sign of God's blessing. And, and, and in the chapter, uh, he goes on and says, if, if you prophesy and an unbeliever comes in to prophesy, done biblically, and we... We spent some time uh, a month or two ago talking about that. Uh, another, another topic, if you've not heard it um, taught, I'd encourage you to get the messages. But if prophecy is being used correctly, we, the unbeliever comes in and, and hears the words of prophecy 
and, and their, their, their hidden things are exposed, and they realize there's no way these people would know this if it weren't for God. The person says, surely God is among you. And they bow down. So the effect on unbelievers when prophecy is used pro- properly is to bring conviction and bring them to salvation. So Paul's offering the alternative. Guys, you do tongues, you've got raving maniac conclusions. You do this thing, you've got people coming to Jesus. Choose this one. Understand the limits to this one. Tongues are really an anti-evangelism tool. They'll drive people away. And he says that it's outsiders and unbelievers. It's not just necessarily people who don't know Jesus, but people who have never been exposed to these things. Imagine coming in and you know, you're, you're, you're brand new and you've not been around a church that believes the gifts of today and everybody's like singing in tongues and shouting in tongues. I mean, that, it's not going to help you kind of feel comfortable and used to the place. That's what he's saying. It has that effect of being unwelcome. And so, so I believe he concedes, if you're going to use it, do interpretation so people understand it. I think, Paul doesn't say this, I think he does, infers it through his example. He says, even better, restrict it to private contexts. But if you're going to use it, I want, I want you to be free as a church to determine whether to use it or not. I think he's saying, use interpretation if that's the case. That's a key thing. In this, And that's part of why we do what we do as a church, how we practice. I'll get into that a little bit. We want to avoid that effect. I heard a story, actually, from my brother, uh, my, my older brother, of an example of this. My older brother uh, is a great person. Um, I, I don't think he's at the place where he's put his faith in Christ as Lord and Savior. Uh, and he told me the story where he was in high school. Uh, and there was, a, I guess, apparently a Christian in his class. It was a speech class, and they had to give a speech and a demonstration. Well, this probably well-meaning Christian young lady, decided to give a speech on the gift of tongues with a demonstration afterwards uh, in front of the whole class. And the result for my brother and the whole class was what? what a, I don't know what word he used. I don't want to put words in his mouth. Um, but a mixture of amusement and mockery was, was the result. Well, that's what Scripture teaches us. It's going to happen, isn't it? And, and, and this, this sister, perhaps well-meaning, was misinformed from Scripture. She would have, have been better off to give a teaching on, well, certainly the Gospel and a presentation of Jesus Christ. Or maybe if she you know, wanted to do something kind of you know, edgy or whatever, do on prophecy and then prophesy to the people in class. That might have accomplished some good things. She chose the wrong things. We don't want to choose the wrong things. We want to understand this truth that Paul's getting at. That... that that this is a gift in its right place, functions in its wrong place, is harmful. That's what he's really getting at for the unbelievers. And we as a church want to be a place where people who are not believers yet, investigating the claims of Christianity, or not exposed to a healthy model of the practice of the gifts, can come in and not be driven away. Maybe, even for me talking about it, uh, for you, maybe you're one of those people who's not been exposed or been exposed in a negative way, and right now you're you're thinking, well, you're you're driving me away just with this just with this message, um, and I just want you to hang in there and to recognize that we have to address this, but we're going to put it in its right context. We're not a church that's going to focus on what might seem like some strange esoteric Christian practice and make that front and center. Scripture is pretty clear about what's front and center. God. Jesus Christ, the gospel, the good news of Christ, that's what you're going to hear, that's what we're going to center on. Uh, The wonder that God in his 
amazing love, his amazing wisdom, his amazing justice, would send his son to fulfill all righteousness and to offer up his life as a sacrifice on the cross to pay for our sins, to fulfill all righteousness in our place so that God can treat us as Jesus deserves while he treats Jesus as we deserve to be treated. That his son was crucified, he suffered, uh, suffered the wrath of God for sin, the right, just penalty for sin in our place, and then rose again victorious over sin and death. And if we have put our faith in him, we're trusting in this grace that is ours freely if we would receive it, if we would just turn from sin, that, that, we, that we know him and we're his forever and it gets better. And one day tongues as we know it will cease, but, but, but love and being in the Lord will not ever cease. That's what we focus on here. Um, so hang in there with us. You're, you're not going to, I don't think you'll have a reason to freak out in the long term at least. Uh, as we look at this and as we center on the things that are truly central and most important. And if you are with us and, and you're not a believer yet, you're very welcome here. We're glad you're here. And we want you to, to, to understand and see the goodness of God in Christ for you. That's offered freely to you. And, and we would encourage you to receive that, to, to turn from self and sin and receive Jesus Christ. But this is an, an important issue that we want to address. It has its place. It's not a main issue. It's a sub-issue. I don't know what level you'd put it on, second, third level issue in Christianity. But it's something we want to understand, and I want us to get to the place where we walk in wisdom with this. So in light of what the Scriptures teach, in light of Paul's example, let's talk about how we do this as a church, some particulars. So understanding Paul's example, understanding the public impact, we as a church uh, are are careful with the use of tongues. We would encourage people, first off, to, to, um, to pursue the gift of tongues. In the public context, we would say that we're going to limit what we see on a Sunday morning. Uh, I don't think as a pastor I could ever say, no, we'll never have tongues on a Sunday. Uh, but because of the limited benefit and the anti-benefit, it's going to be a rare occasion for us. If someone came up and, and it just was so clear that God wanted us to have tongues where we would, I would insist that there be an interpretation. Uh, that person either has one, I want to hear that, or someone else they know is gifted and ready to go. But, but it really would have to be compelling. I don't want to say we'll never do it, but it would have to be compelling because of what I see in Corinthians, both the, the example of Paul and the public impact. So in a public setting, in, in a setting like this, a public, large setting, uh, I encourage you, if you have the gift, use it in a way that is quiet is essentially silent under the breath type praying, um, but not in a way where people are going to come in and hear you praying in tongues and, and be uh, adversely affected. Uh, I think small groups as well. That would be another context where we would encourage you to keep pray qu- quietly. There are other contexts where it may be okay to pray out in tongues. If you're in a small prayer group where that group, there are no people who, who are unexposed to that gift, no, no unbelievers, I think it's fine in that context to, to say, well, you know, is it all right if we pray in tongues a little bit? And to, to do that. I think in a small private gathering, uh, that's fitting. I think also, if you are ministering to somebody, so after our meeting, say there's someone you're praying for, and, and you're praying for them and you have the gift of tongues, I encourage you to pray in tongues. And if that person's comfortable, it's appropriate to even pray in a way that they'd hear that. 
this is a gift that helps us know what to pray, right? So when we're ministering to somebody, let's use it. Let's pray in tongues. There are times when, when um, actually, I, often when I pray for people, when I minister as a pastor, I don't know if you've gotten close to my mouth to hear me, but I, I pray in tongues. I will pray in tongues before I pray in English because I'm seeking the Lord. Lord, what, do I, what should I pray for this person? What's going on? And I'm just seeking Him. And often I feel like He uses that gift to help me know what to pray. So if you have the gift, maybe that's what you do first when someone asks for prayer. Hey, just pray quietly. If they're comfortable, you pray in a way they can hear. Because I, uh, I pray with a lot of people that are new and I don't know where they are, I'm quiet. But I think that is an appropriate context if it works for that person to pray a little louder. But to understand these principles. So in public gatherings, we're not going to see it. It would be rare. But that's not in any way to diminish our private pursuit of this gift. Paul says, I thank God that I pray in tongues more than all of you. He, he says that he wants us all. I want you all to speak in tongues, he says to the Corinthians. Guys, I want you to speak in tongues. I want you to have this gift. That's the heart of God. Let us hear that. It's not okay to say, well, you know, it's limited in the public context. It can have this you know, weird uncle, the Uncle Zeke effect and all that. So let's just forget about it. It's just too weird for me. I don't think that's an okay response. Paul says, I want you all to pray in tongues. I thank God that I pray in tongues more than all of you. We see it as this wonderful sign of this new covenant experience, this blessing for us to know how to praise God, how to, how to pray. Then, then we must, in light of those things, aggressively pursue this gift. It is a blessing. It is a good thing from God. And I believe it's to be a common experience. I don't think Paul says that it's to be everybody's. Do, do all pray in tongues? Do all speak in tongues, he says? He asks rhetorically, and the implication and how he says that, actually in Greek it's very clear what the implication is, the way that they spoke, means no. No. Uh, all do not speak in tongues. Do they? might be a better way to translate for us so we understand what he's saying. They don't all, so we can't guarantee it. But, but let us not go the other side when we recognize that, that this is a gift that's a sign of the Spirit. We see again and again, Acts 19, Acts 10, Acts 2. And we see Paul saying, I want you all to pray in tongues. He, he doesn't, there's certain gifts that, Paul doesn't say, I want you all to be pastors. He doesn't say, I want you all to be these things. But he does say, I want you all to pray in tongues. And even more to prophesy, by the way. Uh, uh, he wants us all to do that as well. So this is a broad gift for God's people. And we should go assuming, knowing this, knowing that our God is a generous, gracious God, that this gift has wonderful benefit. We should go to Him asking and expecting Him to give us this gift to practice to our benefit in private. So my question is, Paul says, I want you all to speak in tongues. My question is, do you want to speak in tongues? That's where I want to take us. Because I think that's the implication of Scripture, that we say, yes, I do, Lord. Grant me this gift for all the good reasons. Lead me in the proper exercise of it for building myself up and therefore, through that, building others up as well. So what do you do? If, those, if you're at that place, I hope the answer is yes. What are first steps? Well, we see in Acts 19 that Paul lays his hands on these new converts, and they receive the Spirit. Paul says to Timothy later on, he says, Fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. Jesus ministered to people, he laid hands on them. Now God doesn't have to do it this way, but the pattern in Scripture for the impartation of gifts is through the laying on of hands. When we pray for people, 
part of why we lay hands on them. We're, we're blessing them. We're, we're in being used of God to impart something to them. And so there's this laying on of hands. So I think first steps is I would love to pray for you. I would love to lay my hand on your shoulder and ask God to give you that gift. Now, he doesn't have to do it that way. He can do it without me. But this is the pattern. So do you want to speak in tongues? Well, get prayed for. Have, have your pastor lay his hands on you and pray for you that you might receive and experience and grow in this gift. What else? Well, this gift is not auto-speak. God doesn't take over our vocal cords. Uh, Paul tells them to, to, to exercise self-control in how they do tongues. That can only happen if they have self-control. Uh, so this is a gift you choose to exercise or not. God's not going to... You're not going to just be sitting there and all of a sudden, blam, you start praying in tongues. Where'd that come from? You've got to use your vocal cords. So there needs to be speaking. And that kind of leaves you in a place like, well, how do I know then? You know, How do I know whether I should do tongues? What's going on? Well, well I think... A way to understand it is, is to be prayed for. And if you sense a stirring in your heart, just a, a sense of you know, wanting to pray something, that sense kind of what Romans 8 talks about, a, a groan, there's something inside, I, 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 I want to voice some sort of prayer or praise to God. That may be speaking in tongues. So give it voice and see what happens. You can do that in private. You can do that quietly. Um, and you may feel awkward. I don't know what's going to come out. I may sound ridiculous. It might just be me. That's okay. And... and and if it's tongues, then great. And if not, that's okay. We can still pray and seek the Lord. But, but you need to give it a voice. You need to recognize that stirring. And you need to, to walk in it. Uh, I'll tell you a story related to this. For me, I think how I received the gift of tongues. I was at a men's prayer group. And, I, and some of you have heard this story. Uh, a bunch of the guys are just praying after work type situation. And, um, and we prayed about all sorts of stuff. And this particular day, my pastor at the time... Uh, said, hey, I feel like the Lord wants us to pray for you. And so the, the guys gathered around me and laid hands on me and prayed for me. And they were just general prayers about good prayers, you know, being filled with the Spirit, knowing joy, so forth. I don't even remember. But I remember this sense of joy that was inside of me. And, um, and I didn't have a whole lot of teaching and, and understanding what was going on. So I actually was, I wanted to laugh as they were praying for me. And I thought, this is so inappropriate to start laughing. So I actually was like biting my tongue. Uh, biting my lip, I mean, to not laugh. And then I, I came out of the men, you know, they, it was funny, they, you know, said, hey, how was it, you know, did you, how was it praying for you? And I thought, oh, it was nice, you know, just kind of low, kept it low-key, good New Englander, you know, and just kind of under, under, undertone, underplay it. And, um, but then I got in my car drive home, and I just started laughing out loud, laughing on the way home. Uh, God had done something. And it was actually not until a few weeks later, I was at a spiritual, or maybe a month later, at a spiritual gifts conference and heard teaching on it. My brother Chris was there. Um, prayed for me, prayed for my wife, and it was shortly after that I, w- I went back home and in private just was praying and started praying in a foreign language. I, and I don't to this day know what language it is, and I'm not going to give a demonstration. Um, but, 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 uh, yeah, that that's how it was for me, and perhaps that helps you to understand. If the band could come up as we close, I want to encourage you. God is gracious, and we're to ask and receive from Him this good gift. To practice it for building ourselves up in the Lord, in the most holy, our most holy faith, as Jude 20 says, through praying in the Spirit. To benefit from it. Listen to this story. This is from uh, Pastor Sam Storms, and we'll close with this. In his book on uh, a guide, Beginner's Guide to the Spiritual Gifts, Sam Storms is a very solid, reliable man. 
And he tells this story in his book about a woman who was a highly educated, respected lady, her particular experience. I think we have this to project so you can follow along. She says, 20 years ago in high school, my wild and crazy Pentecostal boyfriend and his Pentecostal cohorts tried every which way to get me, a conservative Baptist girl, to speak in tongues. I wasn't opposed to the idea, but try as they did. Prayer, moaning, speaking in tongues over me, etc. Nothing happened. They came to the conclusion that I was horribly unspiritual and resistant to God's work in my life. I can't say that I was deeply marred by the experience, but it did leave me feeling somewhat wary of the validity of the gift. And in June of this year, in 95 at the time, the Spirit put on my heart the desire to enter an extended fast. On the fourth day, a really, really difficult day of battling against the physical and mental desire to eat, while I was pouring my heart out to God, foreign or strange words welled up from deep within and came spilling out of my mouth. It was quite a few moments before it dawned on me that I was speaking in tongues. Over the next days and weeks of the fast, I was able to use this gift to battle against severe temptation. I doubt whether I would have had the physical, mental, and spiritual strength to complete the fast without it. I felt as though the Spirit of God was, uh, within me was interceding to the Father on my behalf. The gift remains with me. I feel most moved to use it during times of deep intercession or deep praise. We too may feel wary about this gift, but God may have this gift for us to build us up in Him. And I would like to take time after we close and worship, I'll just be up here to pray for you. If you would like to be prayed for, to experience this gift, that is a good gift for us, to build us up in the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are. You're a gracious Father. You've given us your Son. How much more, Lord, will you give us everything we need in Him? We thank you, Lord, that you dispense the gifts as we need it. And Lord, this is a wonderful gift. We want to receive your gifts, to be built up in you, to walk with you, to bless others. So Holy Spirit, would you come and pour out your presence and this gift, this wonderful gift, on your people. Be glorified through God. May the fruit be like for the woman in the story. We would deepen with you. We would love you more, serve you better. We pray. Amen.